So this morning I'm going to preach primarily to myself. Primarily to myself and uh, and I am sure that uh, and I'm hoping and trusting and I've been praying that God will do something through this message in your life that will never make you be the same again. So what we're going to do is, as I'm preaching, even though I've got the mic, I would like you to be participants in this, in this message. And so the first thing we're going to do together is we're actually going to pray and say, Lord, do something in me that will change my life. I want us to pray, and I want you to pray where you are, where you seated. If you want to stand, you can stand. It's all up to you. But I want that your prayer this morning will be, Lord, I want to have an encounter with you. I came one way, but when I go out this, this morning after this message, I want to pray and, you know, that your, your heart's desire will be that God takes you to your next level. Amen. We don't want to be hearing the word and it doesn't have impact or doesn't change our lives. That's not what we are about. We people who always want to be open to the Holy Spirit changing us. Amen. So as I preach to you, I'm also preaching to, um, as I'm sharing this message, I'm also preaching to myself that God would take my life, my core, everything is called me to, to its next level. Come on now, why don't we just pray for a moment? Oh, yes, Lord. Come on now, pray with expectancy. Pray with expectancy. Let's pray with expectancy this morning. Yes, Father. Yes, Lord. Come do something in me. Come do something in my heart. Come do something in my spirit. Come do something in my life, Lord. Come take me to my next level, Lord. Come speak to me in a way that only you, God, can. Father, come make me see dimensions of you that I've never known, Lord. Father, I pray that this morning you would use this message to create a passion, a depth for you, Lord, that we've never experienced, Lord. Father, I pray that through this message this morning, you would encourage us, Lord, to fully take, grasp the baton, Lord. Father, run with it, Lord, until we're ready to pass it on, Lord, to those who will take it to the next generation, Lord. So, Father, I ask that that you would really give us the grace to hear, to see, to experience what you want to do in our lives this morning. Holy Spirit, come and illuminate the word of God to us. Right now, I come against every resistance that the enemy might want to bring. I come against the resistance of the mind in the name of Jesus. I come against every resistance in the heart. I come against it. I uproot it. I tear it down in the name of Jesus. I declare in the spiritual realm that no weapon formed against us will prosper. In the name of Jesus, I declare and decree that the purposes of God, the word of God will find its way and be resident in our hearts this morning. Amen. So I'm going to preach. Um, on something that's really been very close to my heart in the last um, um, couple of, you know, months. You know, if you hang around me, in the, you know, you will not be surprised just now when I tell you what the title of this message is. But it's something that's really been on my heart. Something, this is one message that I was saying to the Lord, I really want to 
I want to I preach. I want to minister from here, you know. I want to minister from here more than the words and, um, you know, more than the structure of the message, etc., etc. So I hope you're really going to be encouraging me this morning. Amen. So the title of the message is The Power of Intimacy with God. The power of intimacy with God. How many of you really think that God has been great in your life? How many think of you, God, you know, think that God has really achieved so much in your life to date? How many of you really believe that, you know, the, the things you've learned just by being in a, in a relationship with God over the years or since you got born again, you know, are things that have really helped you in your walk with him? Amen. But how many of you are in that place where you're saying, Lord, there must be more. Lord, there must be more. Lord, I want to be in that place. I want to be in that season where you will deepen my heart, my desire for you. Amen. So that's what I'm going to be sharing on this morning. So basically, in terms of the structure, you can see I'm a high blue. We're going to look at what is intimacy. So it's all very well to talk about the power of intimacy with God, but we're going to explore a little bit on what it actually means to be intimate with God, to be seeking God, to go into a deeper relationship with him. And then after that, we're going to look at some of the keys to intimacy. So what are some of the things that will help us to get to that place with God? And then finally, we're going to look at why is it necessary for us to pursue a deeper relationship with God? Amen. Are you ready? I'm going to read um, from Psalm 63, a very favorite uh, psalm of mine. And I'm going to read just the first three verses. This is David speaking. Oh God, you are my God. Psalm 63 verse 1. So he starts off by saying, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life and my lips shall praise you. I mean, talk about intimacy with God. We all know from the varied sounds that David and even other writers of the Psalms, you know, we can tell just how these people were really into a deeper relationship with God. But it's interesting here that David talks about a couple of things. He starts off by saying, oh God, you are my God. When we talk about being intimate with God, we need to really begin by acknowledging that he, only him, is the, the God, the only God we have. We live in a world with so many gods. We live in a world with so many things that people are believing and trusting in. We're living in a world where people are talking about all, ter all kinds of terms, where they talk about um, you know, energy and stuff like that. I was in a meeting earlier this, this last week with a very difficult stakeholder. And how many of you, you know, meetings with, you, with difficult stakeholders are not your favorite. Not only are they not your favorite, but this meeting was late in the day. And I'm like, why don't you set your meeting between 9 and 11 or when you all have energy and we're rearing to go. But late afternoon and over and above that, you're a difficult stakeholder. So I'm thinking about all this in my mind. But something very interesting happened. At the end of the meeting, she says something to me. She says, 
them, there's something about you. I don't know, I don't quite know what it is, but there's an energy about you. There's a nice, a good energy about you. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, it, and, and it's at that stage where you start saying to yourself, do I say thank you? They say, oh, really? You know, you know, but you're like, energy, what's your idea of energy? How do you define energy? So people are talking about all kinds of things where they derive their power and they're worshipping, whether they, they're conscious of it or not, but they're worshipping all kinds of things. But David here approaches God and the first thing he says to him, you are my God. You are my God, not anything else, not anything, you know, not anyone else in my life. And bear in mind the context of this psalm was that he was he had just run away from his son, so was hiding. So he says, you are my God. He confesses his allegiance to the only and living God. And sometimes I wonder, do we are, are we the people who are always confessing our allegiance to the one and living God? Then he says, early will I seek you. Early will I seek you. So this, this to me sounds like before everything else, before I get, I start my day, before I unpack the strategy of whatever I have on my, on my plate, it says, early will I seek you. His desire for God is so overwhelming that his, he actually looks for God every first thing in the morning. And, 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 and what that says to me is, and, and we've all gone through this. How many of you, you know, find it very easy to wake up at like three and four or five, you know, and, you know, get your Bible out and get going in terms of, a, you know, a, a quiet time with the Lord. Okay, we know there's all, there are some of you are accept, exceptions, you know, that 2.5% on the right of the bell curve, all right? But, but it's not always easy. And when we do it, when we get up, you know, for those of you who have their quiet times in the morning, when we get up, it's more out of discipline. It's more out of, you know what, you know, this is good for me, uh, more than the comfort of it. And David here says, early will I seek you. He disregards every discomfort associated with, with seeking God, because we know that there are always those uh, discomforts. And then he goes on to say that um, my soul... My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. And that to me talks about an insatiable longing for God. So David was basically saying to the Lord, everything within me longs for you. Everything within me longs for you. My mind, my will, my emotion, my intellect, my imagination, everything about me, my body, Lord, everything longs for you. And that's why I am here to look for you. And then he goes on to say, in a dry and weary land, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, a weary place, a weary heart makes the presence of God more sashable. So David is saying, even naturally, I'm in, a de and I'm in a desert, I don't have water, I'm thirsty. To be honest, the first thing, if you're in a desert and a dry place and it's hot, the first thing you should actually long for is water. But here he says, you know what, that aside, Lord, I long for you. My flesh longs for you. My heart desires you. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. When I looked at that, you know, when I read that, I thought to myself, how many times do we go before God and the first thing we look for, search for in his presence is never his power and glory. It's always, Lord, you know what? Okay, my bank account at this stage, okay? Like I said, if you looked at my New Year's resolutions, they are 15. And to be honest, you know, if you look at one to seven, they're going to require money. 
So Lord, okay, let's start, let's start talking about how I can achieve this. Lord, how about this for my kids? Lord, how about this for my business? Lord, how about this for my career? It's, it's, it's almost like inevitably, invariably, when we go into the presence of God, we're looking for what God can do for us. But God, dear David tells us, you can see his heart for God. David says, you know, I've looked for you in the sanctuary, and the reason I've looked for you is that I could behold your power power and your glory. He was a man who wanted to walk in the fullness of the power of glory, of, 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 of God, and to walk in his Shekinah and be surrounded by his glory. So I find it interesting that the very things that he seeks or searches for in the presence of God are primarily not his personal needs. Imagine running away from your son who's probably sent other people to look for you so they can possibly kill you. You know, I wouldn't be talking about power and glory. I'll be saying to the Lord, you know what? There are people pursuing me now. And Lord, maybe if anything, just release a whole legion of angels around me for protection. But he said, I've looked for you so that I can behold your power and glory. And that's really my heart's prayer for us, that we would be those people whose primary desire and objective when we come into the presence of God is that we may look for his power and his glory because your loving kindness is better than life. To dwell with God is better than life at its best, life at ease, life even in the palace in the case of David's and some of the homes you, come, you guys come from. You know, my lips shall praise you. He was willing to praise God in spite of the things that were going around you. We should not make our praises of God to depend on our own personal reception of benefits. Amen. So what does intimacy with God really mean? So I came up with this definition. Feel free to build on it, to expand on it, to add, you know, and uh, this is my definition of intimacy with God. Okay. Do you have it? Okay. It is a true, deep connection with God so as to know him fully, to know his mind, to know his heart, to know his character, to know his purposes, that we might worship and serve him in a manner that he desires, primarily for his pleasure and for the advancement of his kingdom. When I was thinking about what it really means to be intimate, to, be, to go deeper with God, you know, I say to the Lord, you know what? If you were to tell me that for the next five or 10 or 15 years, I'm going to quarantine you, okay? Quarantine is a very, uh, you know, common term these, these, these days. I wonder why, you know. But if God were to say to me, so I'm not using it in the context of that disease, okay? It's, it's, or by the way, it's a term that's existed in Oxford Dictionary from time immemorial. So it's for just, just, just to put it out there. And if God was to say to me, Vim, I'm going to isolate you for the next 10 or 15 years on some island. And on that island, it's just going to be you and me. You know, it's just going to be you and me, no one else, no church to preach to, no cell group to go to, no prayer meeting to go to, no community of believers to, uh, to be in relationship with, you know, but just you and me. 
And so for me, when I, when I was thinking about that is, you know what? Yes, we live in a world with a lot of activity. We live in a world where we plan, where there's so much going on. But my heart's real desire is actually to come to that place where what matters most to me is being in the presence of God, is being with him, is learning him, is knowing him fully, you know, not half-half. I don't want to know God. I don't want to know 30% of God. I don't want to know 60% of God. I want to know God as far as he'll allow me to know him. I want to know his mind. I want to know what he thinks. I want to know what goes on in his mind. I want to know his heart. How does he feel? You know, I want to pray. When I pray for myself, for my family, for, my, for the church, when I pray for the city, for the nation, I want to be able to feel the heart of God so that I can disseminate that which he is feeling into this natural realm. I want to know his purposes. Why am I here. I was saying to the guys earlier in the prayer meeting that you know what? I'm actually not ready to die. I'm actually not ready to die because I've just been thinking if I were to die, yes, I'm headed for heaven. That's a good thing. I'm going to heaven because I am a born again Christian. I'm going to heaven. But I was saying to them, you know, I'm not sure that I've fully accomplished everything God has called me to. So I don't want to get to heaven. And then someday when Jesus starts looking at what we did, you know, and he says, Vim, bring out your files. And I'm like, I've nothing to show for it. And so I want to know, I want to be in that place where I know the fullness, the fullness of the purposes of God for my life, the fullness of the purposes of God, you know, for those he's called me to be in community with, that we may worship and serve him in a manner that he desires. Often what happens, especially in the church community and in the body of Christ, we think or we come up with ways we think that, oh, this is how God wants to be worshipped. This is how God wants to be glorified. This is how God wants his name to be lifted. But have we stopped and asked ourselves, what is it that God really desires? How does he want us to worship him? How does he want us? What is the protocol of being in his presence? Do we just waltz in there and just start tuning him out or telling him what our needs are? What is the protocol of his presence? You know, have you ever been some of you, especially some of you who are married, some of you who, you know, close family relationships or good friends, you know, sometimes you go out to a coffee and, um, and this is what I appreciate about my friends. Maybe that's why I've got a few, because those who don't do this, I probably just alienated them. You know? But how is it like you add a coffee and your friend is wanting to know, just find out how you're doing. It's not all about them. It's not, you know, they're just them talking about, about, about themselves. You know? And some of you, you have to learn that discipline. And that's the place I want to be to say, Lord, what are your desires for me? What are your desires for, you, for our church, for our community? What is it that you're wanting us to do so that not just so we can gain or just, you know, for us, but ultimately for his pleasure and for the advancement of, of his kingdom? So we see in these first few ver ver verses that David, his desire was to be intimate with God and he sought to really like search for him. You see, there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing that person. So you can know, you can know about me. You can know that Vim goes to go church. You know, you can know that, you know, Vim is a banker. You can know that Vim drives a red Porsche car. You can know that, you know, Vim um, is wearing black shoes. You can know, you know, all Vim wears a wig. You can know that Vim loves cross, uh, CrossFit, okay? I just had to put that one there, you know, just so, so, so your perception of me can kind of like 
you know. And you can know about me, but knowing about me, knowing those things about me, it's not the same as being in a deep relationship with me. It's not, a, it's not the same about knowing what really, you know, makes my heart, what really lights my fire. What is it that I'm passionate about? What are my goals? What are my plans for the next five, 10 years? And those things you will only know if you're in a deep and close relationship with me. The same with God. The same with God. There's certain things we can know about him, but we can also go to an extended and a deeper relationship to know those things that are not um, just uh, common or just that um, are not as, as obvious about, about him. So there's a difference between knowing about God and actually um, being uh, in, a, in a deeper and relationship with him. True intimacy with God is not self-seeking. It is not self-seeking, at least primarily. So we don't come into the presence of God. We don't seek out. We don't go out to look for him just so we can benefit and forget about him. True intimacy with him is not self-seeking. True intimacy is about emptying yourself before God so that all that is left in you is a desire to capture every grace and virtue that conforms you more and more to the image of God. In Romans 8 verse 29, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many among many, many brethren. True intimacy with God is about bringing ourselves to the threshing floor and allowing him to purge us of every sin and personal agenda. I like what David says in Psalm 51 when he's making a confession to God and he says, purge me with hyssop so that I'll be clean. Wash me with, so that I'll be whiter than, than snow. So when we're wanting to have a deeper and a closer relationship with God, it's actually going to take us a willingness from us of wanting to be on the threshing floor. And it's not comfortable on the threshing floor because when God, when you're beating like wheat that's come out of the field on the threshing floor, you don't do it softly. You don't do it softly. And so true, a desire for true intimacy and a deeper relationship with God is about saying to him, Lord, I'm coming before you. I'm coming in my state of sin. I'm coming in, an, in my unclean state. And I'm basically saying, work in me, Lord. Do what you need to do so that I can walk in the fullness of what you've called me to. True intimacy is about coming to that place of absolute surrender to God, that all that begins to matter in your life is the power of his spirit and the influence of his son as it increases across all touch points. And so basically what we're looking at here is that when we come before God and our desire to seek and be, uh, get into a deeper relationship with him, is that so we can allow him the fullness to touch our lives in all areas, our lives from a personal perspective, our lives in our families, our children, our business, our career, our lives in every domain that he's called us to, that he can, we can actually give him the, the, the fullness of uh, walking and being a part of all that. In John 3, verse 3, this is John speaking, um, John the Baptist, and he says of Jesus, he must increase that I must decrease. 
That's really my heart's desire, that in all that I do, let Jesus be the one who increases. Let Jesus be the one who is glorified. Let Jesus be the one who is, who is seen. You know, I've always said to the Lord, Lord, I want you to help me come to that place, you know, where you will work a work in me that even what I do for your kingdom, whether it's teaching the word, whether it's, you know, preaching, whether it's praying, whatever it is, that when people see me do that, hold the mic and do that, they see less of me, but they see more and more the pronunciation of your, G, of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's, that's, that's really that I, I, my heart's desire that will be a people who come before God and say, you know what, let your son increase in me. Let everything in me decrease, but let everything that is of your son just continue to increase in me. True intimacy with God is coming to that place where your love for him grows beyond your love for the gifts, for the anointing, for the power of mentals. He has placed over your life. Many of you are known by your families, by your colleagues, you know, by your associates. You are known as having certain strengths because God has gifted you one way or the other. You are known. People, I'm so sure that, you know, each one of you, there are people in your family or at work will look at you and say, you know, uh, this person is good at this. Isha is good at this. Pindai is good at this. You know, this, these, are, these are their strengths. But sometimes what happens in the body of Christ is we begin to associate, you know, anointing and intimacy and being in a deeper relationship with God based on the gifts that, that we have. And so sometimes we exalt the gifts more than the giver of those gifts. But when you come to, when you come to a place where you say, you know what, Lord, I just really, yes, I thank you for the gifts. Yes, I know you've given me the anointing. You've given me the power of your Holy Spirit. You've, you've placed mantles upon my life. But you know what, Lord? That is not the primary reason why I seek you. I seek you for you, for your pleasure, for your kingdom, for your glory, that, you know, your name may really be glorified more than I seek these gifts. True intimacy with God creates an inner desperation to become a vessel of honor in his kingdom and a desire to become relevant in our generation. In 2 Timothy 2.21, it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from uh, the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And I really pray that this would be one of our desires when we come into the presence of God, that God would make us that those vessels of honor that can be useful primarily for him, useful for his kingdom, prepared for every good work. I love what A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Pursuit of God, which um, I know some of you have on, the, on their bookshelves. Because, I, I, you know, I remember, like, you know, when I first became a Christian, people would talk about A.W. Toza, and they'll talk about, you know, some of the uh, uh, devotion, devotional uh, books that have been um, uh, formulated out of his writings. And I felt like maybe I'm not, I'm not Christian enough unless I have, you know, uh, a copy or an, unless I've, I've read A.W. somewhere in my, in my walk with God. But anyway, he was an incredible, an incredible man of God. Apparently, they say, you know, if you read a bit about him, they say that um, where he was buried, 
Okay. He, all there is to his grave is A.W. Tozer, man of God. Man of God. And I mean, this is like how many decades back and so on. And uh, he truly was a man of God. He truly was a man of God. But this is what he says. He says, come near to the holy men and women of God. Come near to the holy men and women of the past. And you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night in season and out. And when they had found him, the founding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. Complacency is a deadly fall for all spiritual growth. And when I read that, you know, I started thinking about, you know, um, the so-called God's generals of our day, you know, whether they're still living or those who've really gone to be, who've gone to be with the Lord. And you find that, you know, we're talking the other day about, um, you know, about people like, um, um, you know, great evangelists, you know, uh, you know would, would run all these uh, crusades that we, we you know, we, we would, would hear about, you know, people like, uh, you know, Reynard Bonke, for instance, you know, and how, you know, in the last, he died, he died this year. But it's interesting, you know, the kind of literature that started coming up just in terms of what this guy did in the kingdom. And I remember reading an article that said that he, um, through his crusades, mainly in Africa and across the world, he actually, there are recorded like salvation cards, like tangible that can be audited of about 70 million, okay? This is what, you know, him and his teams just did over the years that you see, you see, you see, you served God. But when you go deeper into, into his life, you just find also just how much he sought God, how much he prayed, how much, you know, he laid himself, you know, before, before God. I was reading about a guy who uh, was very instrumental in the early um, 20th century, 1900s, 20th century, right? Yeah, so somewhere there. So in the early uh, 20th century, and he very instrumental in West Africa, just in terms of uh, um, birthing a movement that saw many people come to Christ. And uh, this guy was so passionate and into God that he would, um, he would go into regions. He would go into regions and people would just be saved and forsake their gods, their ancestral gods and, and, and so on. You'd go into towns and um, hospitals would be shut down. Like there was no need for hospitals because people would just come to him for healing and they were, they were healed. But here's the interesting thing. If you then read material that was written by people who worked closely with him, call him his disciples, if you, you know, for lack of a better term, but people who worked closely with, with him, they subsequently, after his death, they wrote, you know, started writing some of the things that he would, he would be doing. And they said that he was such a man of prayer and would seek God and just, you know, literally hunt for, look, uh, you know, look for and run after God that he would be, he would pray, he could pray nonstop for days, nonstop for days. The one, the one, uh, a person who wrote about him, say, who worked with him closely, said there was a time when he prayed standing seven days nonstop. You know, I don't know what that meant, you know, whether it was at some stage leaning on something, I don't know, 
And then he was, they would say that one of the things they also wrote about him was that if the shortest time he was known to be in the presence of God for, you know, was maybe three to four hours a day. Shortest time. And you're like, what kind of, how many hours in a day did he have? You know, how many hours did he, did he, really, did he really have? You know, but it shows you, it just serves to show that there are certain things, there's a certain level of power that God grants to us when we actually look for him and when we search for him. There are certain things that God is not going to give us just because we come to church, just because, you know, we're in a, in a cell group, you know, just because we've got three or four Bibles on our library at home. But there are certain things that God will reserve for those who truly pursue him and look for him. Amen. Isn't that interesting? So to seek after God means that there's always more because God is an infinite person. If you figure that you've reached a level of maturity in your Christian life, where you put it in neutral, you're in trouble. David had walked with God for years, but he still thirsted for more. So we're just going to quickly look at what are some of the keys to intimacy. So it's not an exhaustive uh, list, but uh, these are some of the keys that can really help us just um, deepen that, that journey with God. The first thing is brokenness or an attitude of brokenness. And I love these scriptures. In Isaiah 57, Isaiah speaks in this, and he says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble heart, humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. With him who has a contrite and humble heart, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. In Isaiah 66 verse 2, it says, But on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. In Psalm 34, 18, the Lord, he, he, it says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. And what I find interesting about what God says in these uh, scriptures is, in, in, in Isaiah 57, he says, you know what? I dwell in a high and lofty place, okay? So to be honest, I'm not quite, you know, at the level where you are, but I dwell in a high and uh, lofty place. And, but not only that, but I'm a, a holy God. I dwell in a high and holy place. I'm a holy person. But here's the exception. With me, there's a type of person that can dwell and be with me in that place. And this is the person who has a contrite heart. This is a person who's humble. This is a person who's broken, who comes to me in brokenness. And I really believe that one of the keys to being intimate and being in a deeper relationship with God is being in a state of brokenness when we come uh, before him and actually living a lifestyle of brokenness. Brokenness is an attitude of the heart that lays aside every title 
accolade, fame, and approaches the throne of God in a state of nothingness. So what we're saying here is that when you come to God in a state of brokenness, you know, there's no title, there's no I've accomplished this, there's no, you know, this is what I want to do. You know, you don't come and bring this whole thesis before God and say, this is whom I am, you know, but you come in a state of nothingness, in a state where you're saying, you know what, Lord, this is just me. I have nothing but me to offer and do a work and a deep work in me. I like the scripture in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. It says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The strength of God does not look for strength, but weakness. And so if we're really going to achieve true intimacy and a deeper relationship with God, we've got to be willing to come to him in that state of weakness so that his strength can actually manifest more in our lives. In Psalm 51 verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And one of the prayers for, you know, us as a church is that the Lord would shape those things in us that he does not despise. I want to encourage us to come to God before in prayer and say, Lord, what are the things that you don't despise? What are the things that you find attractive? What are the virtues that really you find attractive? And I want you to build and shape those things in me. David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. I'm not going to read the story about the woman with the alabaster jar. But we know he came to Jesus in Luke 7 and basically, you know, broke open this, this very expensive perfume before Jesus. And uh, it really caused quite a stir in that, in that room. But what I appreciate about that story is, number one, it took boldness to enter that house. She wasn't invited. And then she was on the guest list because, remember, in this house, there were also Pharisees. This would be the last person they would have invited but it took boldness to enter, to find Jesus, to look for Jesus. And in the same way, it does take boldness, you know, to say to yourself, it doesn't matter what state I'm in. It doesn't matter what I have done. It doesn't matter how backslid I feel. It doesn't matter, you know, even if I feel I'm, I haven't walked in the fullness of what God is calling me to. But it takes a boldness to say, you know what, because I know more, I know that there's something more in God. I know that God wants to use me. I'm still going to find him. I'm still going to find him. And to me, that was a, a story of incredible, true brokenness. You see, the thing with brokenness or humility or a contrite heart is that it is a sweet fragrance before the Lord. It is a sweet fragrance before the Lord. It's, it, 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 it brings almost like a sweet-smelling incense to the nostrils of God. It is attractive to God. It is attractive to God when we enter and come into his presence in a state of nothingness. God loves that. He doesn't despise that. So my question to you is to what extent have you laid down every ego, every fame, and poured out yourself, emptied yourself in brokenness before God? 
The next key to brokenness is honor of God. In 1 Samuel 2 verse 30, the B part, it says, but now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. If we're really going to go into depths in our relationship with God, we cannot successfully do that unless we honor him. And what does honoring God mean? Honoring God, you know, among other things, talks about honoring him with all that we have, honoring him with our life, celebrating him, celebrating our love for him, you know, more than, more than anything. And remember that whatever you consistently honor will actually magnify in your life. And what you dishonor will diminish. So if we want God, his power, his influence to magnify in our lives, we need to honor him more. And the more, and if we don't do that, whatever you dishonor dis, uh, diminishes. Don't use God. Yes, there is a place for making requests in God. He desires, as a good father, he desires to give us the things that we ask of him. But this should not be our primary objective in our relationship with God. Our primary objective should also be just to honor him, celebrate him, honor his attributes, you know, and that there's so many places in the word of God that we can use to actually honor his um, attributes. I like what it says in Psalm 119 verse 19. It says, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You established the earth and it abides, honoring God for his attributes, his faithfulness. In Psalm 44, 144, it talks about his loving kindness, you know, him being our fortress, him being our high tower, our deliverer, our shield, the one in whom we take refuge. In the book of Exodus 34, when God reveals himself to Moses, after Moses had said, show me your glory, God says to him, you know, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, that's an attribute of him, honoring that, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression. My question to you is, do you truly honor God for who he is and not for just, just for what you can get from him. What things in your life dishonor God that you have to get rid of? So it's something that we probably need to settle with God in our private time with him. The next key to intimacy with God is obedience. Is obedience. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, has the Lord... Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of God? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of, ram of rams. In Philippians 2, verse 5, from about yeah, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So imagine if Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you know, brought himself to that place of being obedient, 
to God, his father, how much more do we need to walk in obedience to what God um, wants us to, um, in, in all the things that God wants, wants us to obey him in. So obedience is really a, a key that we need to uphold as we pursue our, our relationship with God. When we come to the place, to our, when we come into the presence of God, when we seek him, when we search for him, there's no place for sin. There's no place for self-seeking in, this, in the presence of God. God does not share his glory with man. In which areas of your life have you been walking in, di- in, repent- in, in, a, in disobedience? Because God despises disobedience and he says to, be, uh, to obey is better than sacrifice. Amen. The next key is diligently seek after him. And this is in various forms. It can be in words, it can be prayer, it can be in all manner. In Hebrews 11 verse 6 it says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And like, you know, we're talking about the people who walked closely with God and spent time with him. Even when you look at the Bible, people like Jesus, people like David, people like Moses, these people diligently sought after after God. And I want to encourage us, you know, as we pursue a deeper relationship with God to restructure our lives in such a way that it accommodates God more. To restructure, you know, our reading of the word, you know, that it becomes more. To restructure the time we lay aside to hear God so that it becomes more. Because unless we diligently seek him, these things will never happen. In Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before before him? And even as I shared, you know, and you know, you know, you probably, in your circles, you know people who really are anointed and move mightily in the power of God, or you've read about some of these people, etc. But here's the thing, you know, that I'm beginning to learn, that people are just not anointed. People are just not anointed. I was, uh, I was looking at something that a friend of mine posted on their Facebook Okay, I am on Facebook, you know, I'm kind of like one of those silent, you know, so I stalk people. Yeah. Uh, well, I check out what you, you know, you do. But um, um, he, he, he posted a very, a very interesting uh, clip. It was by uh, K- uh, Kenneth Hagen, and we know he went to be with the Lord, I think, in the early 2000s. But what was happening in this, in this clip was, it was a typical Kenneth Hagen clip where he was praying like in a big auditorium, thousands of people and so on. And he would walk, you know, and do that typical thing of, you know, you just like swing his arm and then a whole bunch of people would be down on the floor, etc. Or you would attach somebody, lay hands on people and they would just start all kinds of manifestations. But here's the interesting thing. This friend of mine then went to say, on, I put a, a, a comment on his Facebook, and he basically said, on whom have these mantles been passed on? On whom have, be, have these mantles been, been passed on? 
And, you know, part of what I'm currently doing is I'm really, you know, wanting to, to and, you know, have begun, like, studying how, you know, these so-called great men of God really operate. What was, like, you know, their, their, their personal time with, with God? What did it really um, entail? And I'm really learning that, you know what, anointing just doesn't come or fall on people. And basically, the way it works is, yes, we are anointed by virtue of being born-again Christians. Because the Bible says, says to us that, tells us clearly that these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They will drink, you know, take up serpents, drink things that are deadly and not be harmed. They will lay hands on the sick. So there's an anointing. There's a level of anointing and power that comes to us by virtue of being born again. It's guaranteed. Amen. Then there's an anointing and power, you know, that comes to us by virtue of our gifting and calling. So we call to different things. And so that's why you find that some people are very strong entrepreneurs more than others because God has just gifted them that way. Some people are more, you know, are great, you know, if, uh, at, at, at worshiping or, or, or musicians. There's an anointing that comes upon them, you know, because God is something to do with their, their gifting. Then we can also take uh, examples in the fivefold, you know, the preaching, the teaching, and so on. There's an anointing that falls upon a gifting or a calling because that's how just God has designed it. Then there is an anointing or power that comes or separates spiritual cadres from an average type Christian. And this has more to do with the level to which we search and look after God. We can all be seated in a church and listening to the word of God like we are, you know, this morning, however many we are today. But the fact of the matter is we don't seek God at the same level. We don't spend the same level of time with God. We don't prioritize God to the same level. And so my call for us in this season is that would be people would say to God, you know what, there is something more. What is it that you can do in my life, and Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. The fact of the matter is, we are not going to walk in the fullness of an intimate relationship with God unless we also recognize and are prepared to walk in the cost and sacrifice that actually comes with it. And sometimes when you're chilled out at home and you're watching TV, you know, after lunch on a Sunday, from like, I don't know, 1.30 to 6.30, you know, just remember there's somebody who's probably in the presence of God for an hour of that time. Sometimes when you're sleeping and you're like, I'm not going to wake up, you know, just remember that there's somebody who's probably up on their knees. It's all about to what extent and what degree you prepare to go. There is a cost. There is a sacrifice to intimacy. There is a sacrifice to the anointing. It just doesn't come to people, especially of this magnitude, just like like that. My question is, in what way do you have to rearrange your life so that you can prioritize your communion with God more? In what way do you have to rearrange your life so that you can prioritize your communion with God more? Something to go and think about. And then in terms of the last key we're going to look at this morning is allowing God to mold you. I really am encouraged by this scripture in Jeremiah 18, 
verse 1, this is the prophet speaking, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house. There I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, and it seemed good to, to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And this is, you know, and, and you know, the, the, there are times, but, and, and you, would, you would be, you would attest to this. There are times when you, you know, sometimes you, you, you feel a bit far from God. And it's in those times that you're not really that motivated to actually go look for God. Amen? Okay, okay, maybe this doesn't apply to you. I mean, you guys, this, this is something you read about, or, you know, these things never really happen to you. you know. But the fact of the matter is that there are times when we don't necessarily feel like we really want to be with God, or we really want to search for Him, or we really want to pursue an intimate relationship with God. Because invariably what happens with God is when we come into his presence, when we come looking for him, one of his primary objectives is actually to mold us and shape us for what which is called us to. And so even as he says to Jeremiah and says, did you see what the porter was doing, remolding the, the piece of clay that was in his hand? Can I not do the same with the house of Israel? And I really believe that's God's word to us today. Can I not do more with your life? Can I not shape more, you know, with what's happening? Can I not use what's happening in your life to shape you more so that you can actually be in a deeper and intimate relationship with me? In Luke 5, verse 33, it says that they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast more often and make prayers likewise um, and likewise those of the Pharisees, and yet yours eat and drink. And he said, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from an, uh, a new garment to an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wineskin into old wineskins, or else the new wine would burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be renewed, will be ruined. But the new wine must be put in new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. And what I like about those two scriptures is that they really confirm to us that there is hope in us. There is hope that, you know, God can really mold us and still shape us into what he really wants us to be. And what I, you know, some of you, you know, would know what they would do like in the olden days when they worked with wineskins is that whenever an old wineskin, you know, they, they wouldn't really use it. But if they wanted to use it, they would take oil, olive oil especially, and then rub it into that old wineskin and then it would be as good as new. 
And so my prayer for this season for us as a church is that God would mold those wineskins that we have, that he would actually mold them, shape them, rub in his olive oil, the oil of his, of his Holy Spirit, and make us into vessels that will really contain his move for this day and his move for our seasons. Amen. That would be a people who be, you know, sometimes you want to work with a vessel, but unless the vessel is ready and prepared, you can't do much with it. It's, a, it's like a saucepan, you know, you know, I sound like I cook a lot. Anyway, I'll use it. I'll take that one, you know. Unless it is structured, depending on how much you want to put and want to cook in, the, you got to ask yourself, is this the vessel that will contain what I want to do? And so in the same space, we have to allow becoming intimate and moving into a closer relationship with God is also about allowing him to make us and mold us into the type of wineskin that can preserve his power and his spirit for the season. Amen. All right. And so now we're just going to look at, uh, uh, as we conclude this message, Oh, the question is, what areas in your life do you need to submit to God so he can perfectly mold or rearrange you so that you enter deepened realms of intimacy with him? Something to go and think about. As we conclude this message, let's look at uh, why should we pursue intimacy with God? Why is it necessary after all? The first thing is that God will share his secrets with you. Psalm 25, 14, it says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Psalm 25, verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. There are things that God will only share to those with a close relationship with him. And it's not just God, even us, we do it. Okay, I know some people, this, you know, you know yeah, some, some of us have to learn the, the, the discipline, you know, because some of the things people post on their status and Facebook, you're like, just keep those things to yourself. We don't really need to know. But the average person does not share secret and deep things about themselves with anyone, just in They don't do that. And in the same way, God doesn't, just because we're born again, just because we go church, you know, go as et cetera, just because, you know, we, we're good Christians, that does not necessarily mean that God shares his secrets with us, with everybody at the same magnitude. No, it doesn't happen. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them, in, in, he will show them his covenant in the place of intimacy you receive revelation. In the place of intimacy with God, you will tell you things that otherwise would not, you know, have just been known, just, you know, just, just things, things like that. So in that place of intimacy is where God reveals those things or what otherwise would not been, um, been, been known. Are you the kind of person to whom God can entrust his secrets? I think sometimes God looks at us, God looks at our lives and thinks, you know, that one I'd really love, you know, to communicate more to him, to show them, you know, what really, you know, what I really want to do about their lives or, to, you know. But sometimes, you know, God looks at us and they, I don't know, they, they can't even keep a secret, you know. <laughs> Let's work on them more, give them more time, you know, the secrets of the Lord are entrusted to those who fear um, him. The second reason of why it is important to be develop a closer relationship with God is that 
you know the ways of God. In Psalm 103, verse 7, it says, He had made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. Moses was a friend of God. And it's interesting that the Bible here distinguishes of what, between what God did with Moses and what he did with the rest of Israel. With Moses, he made known to him his ways. And to the rest of Israel, the children of Israel, he basically made known his, his acts. And what that talks, you know, it talks about how when you're in a deep, when you're in an intimate relationship with God, you know his intimate things, you know his mind, you know how he really operates as opposed to just uh, the, the physical manifestations of his uh, power. How deep is your relationship with God? Do you really know his ways? The next reason is God reveals to you the mysteries of each season. God reveals to you the mysteries of each season. You know, I've always said that just like, especially with, we're already in Q1, this is the third, third month of the year, you know, third month of the year in two or three weeks' time, March will, will come to an end. But I've often wondered, you know, when we write those New Year's resolutions, do we also ask God, what season am I in? Do we also come before God and say, Lord, what is it that you're doing in my life concerning my career, concerning my business, concerning my studies, concerning my relationships, concerning the following things? Do we really ask God about the seasons of our, of our lives? You know, one of the things I've, you know, I really cry out to God and I say to him, you know what, Lord, I always, I pray that you help me understand the mysteries or what se of, of every season that I'm walking in. You know, you don't want to look back and say, oh, that was that season. I wish I'd known at the time. You know, because when you understand what season you're in, you're likely to cooperate with God more. You're likely to know how to pray. You're likely to know, you know, what things do I war according, you know, what, what warfare do I bring into my life? So it's important for us to understand the seasons of God if we are going to fully fulfill what he wants us to. So coming into intimacy with him, it's just the place, it's the atmosphere for God to reveal to us the mysteries of those seasons. Amen. And I really um, trust that one of the things we'd continue to do is always to ask God. Do you know what God is doing in your life in this season? And if you don't, I want to encourage you to ask him and uh, have that conversation with him in prayer. The next reason why it is important to be intimate or can come into a deeper relationship with God is that things are birthed in the place of intimacy with God. Things are birthed in, a place of, in the place of intimacy with God. This is where your purpose is realigned. This is where the womb of your spirit is activated. I like what it says in Isaiah 66 verse 9. He says, shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord. Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says the Lord. In Philippians 1.6, it says, being confident of, these, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So in that place of intimacy is where things are birthed, is where the purposes, our purposes realigned, is, there, is where the womb of our spirit is activated. Amen. So what are the things that God is birthing 
in the womb of your spirit in this season? What is it that God is birthing? The next reason is passion for God increases. Your life will never be the same, you know, when you come out of, out of that, that place of intimacy. It's interesting how would read of the Israelites when, when Moses would come out of the presence of God. They, they, they would not be able to look at his face. You'd actually literally have to cover his face. And when I read that passage of scripture, it actually saddens me. It actually talks about how Moses, there was the tabernacle of the, the, the tent of meeting that was just outside the, 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 the community. And Moses would go and meet with the Lord. But the Bible makes it clear to us that when Moses would enter that tent of meeting, what would happen? The glory would be seen literally coming over the tent. And these people are watching. These people are standing at the, at the tent uh, uh, doors watching, you know, and then they'll be watching whilst Moses himself is entering into this place with God and to show that God would visit him, the glory would actually settle on the tent of meetings. When I read that, I said, Lord, in everything that I do for you, I never want to be a watcher. I never want to watch people walk in the glory of God. I never want to watch people walk in the power of God. I never want to walk, watch people, you know, experience, heal people, lay hands on, on people, you know, raise the, the, the dead, uh, lay hands on the sick so that they recover. And yet I don't partake of that. I want to ask you, are you in that place where maybe you've been a watcher for too long, where maybe you're standing at your tent gate or your tent uh, door whilst others are entering the glory, whilst others are pursuing and there's evidence of the glory, or glory of God residing on their tent. I say to God, I never want to be a watcher. I never want to be a watcher. Do what you need to do in me so that I can be in the midst of the action. I can be in the midst of the power, in the midst of the anointing, that the mantles you've placed in my life can actually do what they're supposed to be doing. I don't want to be a watcher. I don't want to be a watcher. What is the level of your passion with God? The other reason is that sharpening your spiritual senses, that's reason number six, is that coming into a place of intimacy with God will sharpen your spiritual senses you cannot hear God except you're in the spirit. You hear better, you see better, you discern better in the place of intimacy with God. In the place of intimacy with God. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How sharp are your spiritual senses? The next reason why it is important to come into an intimate relationship with God is that you will know him experientially. Moses knew the ways of God. He had an experience with God that the Israelites were not a part of. In Exodus 33, Moses has a personal conversation with God where he says, okay, if you say you know me by name and I found favor in your sight, then show me your glory. That's a personal conversation. That's not a group conversation. And God actually did reveal himself to him. Do you really know God experientially? Or you know him based on what people say? And finally, fresh manna for each day. When we come into that place of intimacy, of closeness, of a deepened relationship with God, God releases fresh 
manner for each day. How many of you, you know, I'm sure a lot of you would, would agree with me that we really live in a hectic community, hectic environment. You know, you get up and sometimes you look at your day and you're like, what happened? What, what exactly? Where did the day go? There's so much activity. And in that kind of an atmosphere and lifestyle, we actually need the fresh of manner of uh, the fresh manner of God for each day. In Lamentations three verse twenty-two, it says, "Though the Lord's mercies are not through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His passions never compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion," says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. God always has something new and fresh to share with those who genuinely seek him. What needs renewal in your life? What needs to be reshaped in your, in your life? So developing deepened levels of intimacy with God is so we can come to that place where we'll let our lives be a place of habitation for him. I really pray that we'll become that church that says to God, you know what, broaden our shoulders, broaden my shoulders, Lord, so that I can carry your burden for what you want to do with, with our lives. I really pray that we'll be, you know, that kind of people would say to God, we want to be those who host your presence, who know what you're doing so that we can move in line with your purposes. Amen. Okay, let's stand and pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge that we are not where we want to be, Lord. We are not where we should be. Father God, I pray that you would do something in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would bring us to that place of a desire for conversations with you, Lord, of a desire for deepened levels of intimacy with you, Lord. Father, I pray that we'll be a people who really desire to be close closer to you than before, Lord. Father, even as your word says, draw near, draw near to God and you will draw near to you, Lord. Father, I pray that in this season, Lord, we'll be determined to draw near to God, Lord. Father, that we would seek you. We would seek you in your word. We would seek you in, our, in a varied communion with you, Lord. Father, that we would come before you in a state of nothingness, Lord. Father, we would come and bring ourselves before your thresh, your, your, your threshing floor, Lord, before your, your, your presence, where we say, work in us, Lord, work in us, Lord, in our weaknesses, Lord, Father, that you would work in us, Lord, that you would strengthen us, Father, like the potter with the clay, that you would mold and shape every area in our hearts, in our lives that requires to be remolded, Lord, to be dismantled, even if you have to start afresh in some of these areas, Lord. Father, that you would do that for your glory, for the glory of your kingdom, Lord. Father, we pray that we would be a church, Lord, that would come to an understanding of, the, of our season, Lord, of what you're doing in this season, Lord, both as a church
church and in our individual lives, Lord. Father, I pray that you prepare us to be a wineskin that really contains your wine for the season, Lord. Your wineskin that really contains your power, your glory for what you are doing in this season, Lord. Father, I pray that we will not be watchers when others go and enter the place of intimacy, when others go and enter the place of your glory, Lord. Father, I pray that we will be participants. Father, I pray that you would create in us a zeal, Father, to really look for you, to search for you. Like David said, that, you know, as deep calls unto deep, Lord, that we would be those who search for you earnestly in a dry and weary land where there is no water, Lord, that we'll be those pursuers, true pursuers of God in all that we do. We ask that you would help us in this journey, Lord. It's not something we can do out of our own flesh. We ask that, Holy Spirit, you would walk with us. You would strengthen us. You would help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.